Josh picks up an automatic weapon from a fallen trooper who is stuck full of arrows. He spins and rakes it across the ranks of the advancing Sec 4 troopers. They scatter like pigeons. Nobody's ever shot back at them before. Josh empties the rifle, buying the group enough time to reach the tree line. He sees several scorpions rising like black, angry hornets from the compound. Half a dozen power suits are charging toward him. Josh grabs a couple of grenades from the fallen troopers as rounds stitch toward him. He turns and sprints for the trees. What follows is a hairball. All stops pulled chase through the forest as the rolling thunder of war machines relentlessly pursues the Navi and the renegade avatar. The gunships roar into the forest, the ballsier pilots searching below the canopy. They maneuver their thundering ships between the huge trunks. The trees are so big you can actually fly through them between the canopy and the forest floor. And the power suits crash through the underbrush at a full run, fanning out through the jungle. When one of the gunships spots a running Navi on the down-looking infrared, the pilot tells the power suit troopers, and they converge. The forest is riddled by fire from the GAU-90 cannons. Josh and the hunters duck behind the mighty trunks, which shelter them from the hellacious fire. Then they run on, zigzagging. Josh runs from a power suit which pounds through the forest behind him. He leaps and rolls, dodging behind trees as the cannon rips up the foliage. Zuleika runs along beneath a fallen tree trunk while a gunship tries to hit her with its cannon. It fires rockets and she dives into a pond as the jungle explodes. She surfaces amid burning debris as the gunship flies on. The power suit chasing Josh is catching up. It follows him into a narrow rocky cleft. It turns out to be a cul-de-sac and Josh is trapped. The power suit closes in for the kill. Then tons of rock come crashing down, smashing it into junk. Josh whoops and waves to the Navi hunters poised above. They wave back. And then 20 mounted Navi charge into the battle, the hooves of their dire horses thundering. With a shriek, two dozen banshee rays flash down out of the sky, Navi on their backs. The horsemen scoop up the rescued Navi and gallop off into the woods. The gunships dive to give chase, dodging and weaving through the trunks. Josh, running from a power suit, leads it between a stand of trees. Hidden hunters hit it with their bolos. The power suit goes down and the hunters set upon it, four of them pinning it. Josh runs up and trips the rescue release on the canopy. He rips the lid open. The trooper screams as the toxic air whooshes in. Josh pulls him out like a rag doll, tossing him away with one hand. He and the hunters lift the heavy arm, aiming the Gaiu 90 at an approaching gunship. Josh reaches into the cockpit of the power suit and hits the fire control button. The Gaiu 90 roars. Its solid tongue of tracers rips into the scorpion, which cants over, plummets to the ground, and explodes. Striding through the jungle in his hydraulic seven-league boots, 
Quaritch goes apeshit. What the hell is going on? He watches as another scorpion is riddled from below. On fire, it banks over him, careening into the jungle. Quaritch wheels at the sound of hooves in time to blast a dire horse and rider. He pivots, firing at a running navi. The hunter disappears in a gout of earth and foliage. Tsute runs along a horizontal bow. A gunship moves slowly through the woods below, looking for a victim. Tsute leaps, lands on the back of the thing. He runs along its spine, clutching a rock about the size of a football. When he reaches the turbofan intakes, he hurls it down into the turbine blade's full force. There's a clattering shriek and the turbine blows apart, sending shrapnel outward through the sides of the fuselage. The gunship tilts and heads for the ground. Tsute leaps for a liana and swings to safety. The ship explodes below him. Two banshee rays swoop in behind a gunship. The first rider drops a 30-pound rock, which hits the scorpion squarely. The pilot hears the clunk and looks around. The second rider guides his ray over the center of the ship. Zuleika is riding behind him on the ray's back. She rolls off onto the gunship, then runs to the rock and picks it up, pounding it down into the turbine. The turbine explodes. Zuleika runs as the gunship goes out of control. She dives out into space, and a third banshee ray plucks her out of the air with its claws. A trooper in a power suit hears hooves and turns. His eyes widen as he sees two dire horses with a heavy log slung between them like a battering ram. At a full gallop, the riders guide the log right into the canopy of the power suit, shattering it. The suit flips onto its back and doesn't move. Tsute pulls out his bull roarer and starts to swing it. The sound wails through the forest like a siren. The Navi retreat as one, disappearing into the forest. Push in on Quaritch, calling to his men. The gunships aren't answering, the suits aren't answering. He sees burning wreckage on his right and a power suit lying still on his left. The forest is silent except for the usual hoots and screeches. What the fuck is happening? They just got their asses kicked by bows and arrows. Night is falling and the forest is dark and deep around him. He swears and rakes the jungle with his gatling gun until the ammo panniards are empty. In the mountain stronghold, the Navi are gathered. There are several hundred of them. All the nearby clans have come to join the battle. It is full night and the stars blaze overhead. Polyphemus stares down at them with his one bloody eye. Torches, as well as a galaxy of bioluminescence, light the gathering. Josh, Zuleika, and Tsute stand before the gathered clans. The alien warrior, the daughter of the patriarch, and the patriarch's successor. Josh speaks to the assembly, and Zuleika translates for him into the Nabi language. He tells them they are not just fighting for this part of the forest or these few trees, but for the very future of their world. He says the history of the aliens they call the Sky People is one of blood. 
For as long as can be remembered, they take what is not theirs. They take the land and hunting grounds of other people and kill them or put them in places they cannot live. They call this progress, and it has led them down a path to sickness and death. Their world, their forest, is a dying place, a poison place. They have killed their mother. And they will do the same here. They must be driven away. When they come again, they will come with all their force. And we must be ready. We must fight to our last breath, or they will rape and kill our mother as they did their own. Josh hears a familiar voice behind him, Grace. Nice speech, kid. Josh spins around seeing Grace's avatar stepping up behind him. She is bright-eyed and as alive as he ever saw her. He is dumbfounded. She walks up to him, grinning, Josh. Grace, Grace, it's you, Grace. Of course, it's me, moron. Finally, he whoops and picks her up, spinning her around, Josh. Is it gonna hurt my brain if you tell me how Grace says she's not sure exactly how it works, scientifically, that is. But the short version is that under certain circumstances, the Navi can do this thing, call it a soul transfer. When I was dying, the trees stored, well, they stored my mind, my emotions, my memories, me. Then they downloaded it all to this body. No more turning into a pumpkin. I get to be Cinderella all the time now. Josh is lost. The trees stored you? Grace laughs and puts her arm around him. Josh, she says, this may take a bit of explaining. Back home, we called it Gaia, a single being made up of all that's living on the whole planet. The only problem is, back home, it's a myth. There is no Gaia. If she ever lived, she's been long dead. But it's not a myth here. On Pandora, there is only one entity. The forest is its brain, like a vast neural net with every tree being a single brain cell or dendrite. And all the roots co-mingling, those are the synapses, one vast sentience covering all the land. And everything that walks and breaths and lives within it is a part of it. It is like a government which keeps everything in balance. That's why the Navi don't kill or make war. No ownership, no territory. They are given all they need, a place to live, a part in the great pageant of life here. Is she intelligent, this Gaia, this mother forest? Sort of. But she's almost more like a kind of bio-internet. The willows are access points. The well of souls and other places like it around the planet are like big servers, storage centers, a place of memories. The Gaia mind can be accessed from anywhere. It can be used to communicate over long distances. That's how the clan knew Zuleika had found you. She accessed the willows. And that's why the Navi only have one language all over the planet with regional dialects, of course, just for fun. But more than a network, she has a will, an ego. She guides, she shapes, she protects. Sometimes she sacrifices something she loves for the greater good. 
and sometimes she is very strict. Gaia does not take sides. Gaia will not necessarily save you. Her role is to protect all life and the balance of life. And to protect that balance, death is necessary. She is quite literally Mother Nature. And it's not nice to fool with Mother Nature, but she can be petitioned by a process surprisingly like prayer. Gaia listens and reacts as she sees fit, sometimes in your favor, sometimes not. But you have to really get her attention if you want her to do something big. It takes a lot of people plugging in and petitioning. They cannot forcibly will Gaia to do anything. And Gaia does not answer directly, but she listens. Since the Navi are the highest form of ambulatory life, they are valued for their input and have a special relationship with Gaia. In the case of this infection of aliens, they are the best source of insight into what is going on because they can communicate directly with the aliens. Gaia knows instinctively that the humans are a disease, an organism from outside. This is a new thing for her, unprecedented, and there are no guidelines for what to do. The first and most obvious thing to do is fight the infection, try to contain it. So she sent attacking flora and fauna to surround the alien infection and keep it from spreading. Gaia was functioning like an immune system, sending antibodies to the infection site. Gaia was doing chemotherapy, and we were the tumor. That's why Hell's Gate was under constant attack, a bio-barrage of predators and poisonous plants, which was an ecological cartoon. We just thought we'd landed at a particularly bad spot. And that's why, once we got deep into the forest, we saw a balanced ecosystem. But we could never have seen the mindless attacks as a coordinated, systematic effort. Like the slinth following the titanother through the fence, when did a slinth and a titanother ever work together? They're mortal enemies. But when Gaia speaks, people listen. At least if you're born on Pandora. We didn't see it. We literally couldn't see the forest for the trees. Josh reels from these revelations. But more amazingly, he knows them to be true. And the explanation fits so well he's amazed he didn't see it already. At some level, he already sensed it. He asks if Gaia can be made aware of the severity of the threat. The fact that the current infection is nothing compared to what's coming. If the Navajo and the Sioux had known what was coming for them, they never would have made those treaties. They would have fought to the last man. Zuleika tells her mother that Josh wants to speak to Gaia to tell her about the aliens. Moat looks at Josh a long time. She knows he is here for a reason, and this must be it. She closes her eyes and opens them, the well of souls. All the clans are gathered, filling the place and spilling out into the forest surrounding it. They sit cross-legged in concentric circles, like growth rings in a tree. 
From the great convoluted brain of twisted roots beneath them, silken tendrils reach up, seeking the ends of the long queues, hanging down the backs of the Navi. Josh sits with Moat under the central willow. The entire congregation is chanting slowly, and somebody is beating a drum in a steady rhythm. Soon they are all connected and plugged into the Gaia mind. Josh feels it, like falling into a vast radiant sea. He starts to talk. At Hell's Gate, there is a total mobilization. Selfridge and Quaritch have gone to a state of full emergency martial law. The shuttles have been called down from the starship in orbit and are being used as troop carriers. The Samsons are being fitted with cannons and all Scorpions are fully loaded. Maximum weapons payload. They cannot wait for an attack by an organized enemy led by a renegade controller who is giving them inside information. They must take the fight to the rebels and rout them in their mountain stronghold. They were caught by surprise last time, but they won't underestimate the enemy this time. Quaritch is determined to blast the forest to kindling, if necessary, to reclaim the planet. The scorpions are lined up, ready to fly. Behind them, a squadron of Samsons and two Valkyrie shuttles, 30 armored power suits, 100 regular Sec-4 troopers, 100 volunteers from amongst the construction and mining crews, and Quaritch in his Dragon Command ship. At the Well of Souls, the people wait in silence for Gaia's answer. Then slowly, the trees around them begin to pulse with a faint radiant energy. The bioluminescence spreads throughout the roots until they glow like a vast system of fiber optics. They blaze white hot in the night. The Navi respond, their own bioluminescent spots growing brighter until they are radiant beings in a sea of white light, wide shot. As the glow spreads through the forest like a vast nervous system. In an aerial shot, it almost looks like a city at night, with arteries of light like freeways. The wave of luminosity spreads to the horizon in all directions. From the Prometheus in orbit, we see the night side of the planet transformed into a vast reticulated lacework of faint luminosity. The continent, then the whole planet, is united in one vast energy field terrifying in its scale as Gaia marshals her strength. At dawn, the gunships fill the sky like bloated death beetles. They sweep toward the Hallelujah Mountains in a thundering wave. The Valkyrie shuttles are the heavy transports of the operation, packed with troops, volunteers, and power suits. The ships enter the shadow of Mons Veritatis, the Mountain of Truth, the Valkyries land on Quaritch's order, disgorging their troops into the forest. The power suits spread out and advance in a cordon. With the armored troopers behind, they scan the forest with infrared. Lyle Wayne Fleet, walking point in his hydraulic suit, sees movement on his FLIR display and reports it to Quaritch, Navi horsemen advancing on them through the trees 200 meters out. 
the Navi attack, mounted on dire horses, the battle which historians of two planets will call, in their separate tongues, the battle of Big Rock Candy Mountain has begun. The troopers target the horsemen on infrared, and they fire through the foliage. The dire horses are cut down even before they get within bow range. Quaritch orders the gunships to rocket the jungle. Advancing in formation, the gunships fire streamers of fire ahead of them. The jungle explodes with fire bursts. The pounding is merciless. Enormous trees topple, and acres of rainforest are left burning. The troopers advance, firing flamethrowers and Gao-90 Gatling guns. The Navi are scattered or cut down. It seems a total route when Quaritch glances up. Out of the sun come winged shapes, a whole squadron of them. The Banshee rays, invisible on radar, dive out of the morning glare like birds of prey. Leading the dive is one winged shape, three times the size of the others, a great Leonopteryx, a demon straight from hell, blazing with scarlet, yellow, and black stripes, backlit by the morning sun. On its back, reining it by neural link, is Josh. The Ray Riders slam into the gunships and Samsons, like falcons hitting fat turkeys. The air battle is joined. The scorpions are not seriously damaged by the Banshee Ray strikes. They separate out of formation to pursue individual Ray Riders, trying to hit them with cannons and rockets. The scorpions bank after the rays as they head for cover among the floating mountains or dive down into the trees. Banking and jinking furiously, the rays use obstacles like the flanks of the floating mountains to slow the gunships, which are faster than they are. A gunship in a tight bank fires its cannon. The rounds rip along a cliff face as the targeted ray swoops across it. Two rays in full delta dives slam into a Samson, shattering the canopy. The Samson spins out of control. A scorpion gunship gets on the tail of a ray. They wank and bank together, threading the needle between two floating islands. The gunship fires an air-to-air -air missile, and the ray vanishes in an explosion. Another ray rider takes to the sheltering forest, zipping between the tree trunks as a pursuing scorpion rockets the jungle from above. The ray is hit by flying chunks of wood from an exploding tree, and the rider cartwheels off. The scorpion, having scored a hit, pulls around, looking for another mark. K-wham! A huge red shape slams down on it, knocking it tumbling. The great Leonopteryx coils around it, slashing furiously as the ship tries to right itself. Josh can barely hang on, all his avatar muscles strained to the limit, gripping the gyrating creature. The pilot of the scorpion sees nothing but the jaws of the king, predator of the air, slamming into his Lexan canopy. Josh releases the gunship moments before they careen into a cliff. The pilot can't recover. His ship hits the face of the floating mountain and skids along it, crippling the lifting turbines. The craft plummets toward the rainforest below, and there's a satisfying fireball. 
The cliff face near Josh explodes with cannon rounds, and he tucks and dives. Screaming down on him is another scorpion. They spiral downward, and Josh can feel the rounds splitting the air around him. He rolls inverted and dives under the edge of Mons Veritatis, then rolls out and zigzags through the dangling vines. The gunship stays on him. It rips through the vines and traces light the darkness under the floating mountain. Josh Jinx, the Leonopteryx around a thundering waterfall. The gunship explodes right through the curtain of water. It launches an air-to-air -air missile. Josh Jinx hard Devin. The missile hits a rock outcropping. The gunship follows Josh through a narrow slit between Mons Veritatis and a smaller floating island. They run this slot rolled up on their sides to make the clearance. The gunship comes around a tight corner and breaks into the clear. The pilot has lost sight of the giant ray. A shadow crosses his canopy. Out of the sun comes a crimson demon, shrieking over the roar of his own turbines. K. Wem. The Leo slams the canopy of the ship. The scorpion is driven downward in a dive. The Leonopteryx lashes at it, keeping a grip with claws and teeth. They spiral out of control. The powerful jaws rip open the canopy, breaking the latching mechanism. The pilot gags on Pandoran air. Josh kicks the gunship loose and it falls like a brick, breaking its back on a rocky promontory and exploding. Two Banshee Ray riders fall in beside Josh. He signals, pointing to a target, and they bank together out of shot. Trudy Chacon flies the stolen Samson over the battle zone while Marcia de los Santos videos the action with her stereo cam. She is sending a live feed to the human base. Pirate video journalism. In the lab complex, the controllers watch the battle on a large screen complete with Marcia's breathless narration. Free media forever. Back in the battle, the gunships and the rays are still corkscrewing all over the sky. A volunteer gunner fires his door gun out the side of a Samson. There is a crash and the ship is driven downward. The head of a banshee ray lunges into the open door from above, grabbing the gunner in its fanged mouth and jerking him out. Another Samson dives after a ray. The pilot is a hot dog, following the ray down into the trees. Under the canopy, they slalom through the tree trunks at high speed. The gunners hang half out the doors, firing their machine guns. Bark and leaves explode around the ray as it jinks through the jungle. The ray dives under a huge tree limb and the pilot follows. He looks up at the last second, catching a glimpse of blue-skinned figures. The Navi hunters on the bow drop a net of woven vines after the Ray Rider has gone through. The Samson hits it. The net fouls the ship, causing it to flip over backwards. It crashes upside down to the forest floor. Kaboom! The Navi cheer. A moment later, they scatter as cannon fire rips into the tree around them. Power suit troopers advance across the forest floor, 
firing their cannons and flamethrowers. The Gao 90s ripped the forest to shreds. Hydraulic feet passed the bodies of dire horses and Navi hunters. The troopers easily tracked the Navi through the brush on infrared. Running Pandorans are cut down, disappearing in gouts of earth and splintering wood. The trooper on the far right of the firing line yells something. Out of the woods next to him, a monstrous shape explodes in a shower of broken branches. As the troopers pivot, a wall of charging hammerhead Titan Otheries crashes out of the foliage beside them. Charging in from the flank, the Titan Others scatter the troopers like bowling pins. Only a couple even have time to fire. Several are pounded under the stampeding giants. The tree trunk-like feet shatter the power suit cockpits and the troopers are crushed or asphyxiated. The stampede thunders past, leaving the power suits scattered and disorganized. They are left in a murky cloud of dust and floating leaf confetti. Lyle is yelling orders, trying to get some control back. He tells them to spread out. Two power suits are charging together through the dusty, sun-dappled gloom, pursuing some running Navi hunters. Something slams into one of the suits, tackling it out of frame. The other trooper whirls and sees the most awesome land predator the universe has ever conceived. The manticore crouches over the fallen power suit, growling like a panther the size of a switch engine. Its mantis-like front limbs grip the struggling power suit trooper like a vice. The standing trooper can't fire without hitting his buddy. He can only stare. And so he has time to see the figure on the back of the beast, a blue-skinned woman. The manticore rips the power suit's gun arm off with its massive, distensible jaws. Then the scorpion tail arcs through the air, driving the stinger down like a pile driver. It punches through the canopy. The struggling suit goes still. The standing trooper raises his cannon, but the manticore leaps blindingly fast, impossibly fast for something that size, and wham, it has him in its mantis grip. He is face to face with its nightmare jaws right outside his canopy. The tail rises, poising to strike. Kick crack! Zuleika drops the power suit like a pile of junk and turns her demon mount. The manticore bounds into the foliage to stalk the other power suits. Nearby, the armored foot soldiers see living shadows flow out of the gloom around them. The viper wolves race among them with flashing jaws. The troopers fire wildly as they go down, hitting each other. The survivors break and run as more viper wolves come out of the shadows after them. The air battle rages. Quaritch, directing operations from the Dragon, has lost track of a lot of his ships among the floating mountains. The Navi are fighting a dirty guerrilla war, luring his ships into single combat and ambushing them. He snaps the targeting system down over his eyes and takes over the gun system of the Dragon. He tracks a banking Ray Rider and blows him out of the sky, targets another. Pipoom, Josh 
flying his demon mount, looks around to see a flotilla of Medusae emerging around the flank of Mons Prometheus. The enormous gas jellyfish glitter in the sun, big as ships. Closer on the Medusae, a second Leonopteryx sweeps into view, ridden by Tsute. He signals to a Navi hunter who rides the top of the lead Medusa. The female hunter has her cue plugged into a nerve center at top dead center of the thing's huge bell. She directs it to turn, and it pulses, coming slowly around. The other Medusae are not ridden, but they follow mindlessly. A scorpion banking around the flank of the big rock candy mountain finds itself tangled in a curtain of rubbery tentacles a hundred meters long. The pilot tries to pull free as he looks up, in time to see more of the gas bags converging, their bells pulsing vigorously. More stringy tentacles wind over the scorpion. It twists and turns, trying to get free. Tsute rides up near the unmanned medusas, which are gripping the scorpion. He waits until the tentacles have drawn it up near the gas bags, then fires a flaming arrow into the middle of them. K-boom! They go up like the Hindenburg in an enormous fireball which engulfs the scorpion. The gunship drops, bathed in fire and giant jellyfish parts. It hits the rocks below and the fuel explodes. A pair of Samsons pursue half a dozen Ray Riders through the intermittent clouds which wreath big rock candy mountain. They suddenly find themselves in a swarm of Medusa. The Samsons slow down, looking for a way out of the pack of giant balloons. The rays peel away, disappearing. The pilots see a flash of red wings, an arc of fire, and then the balloons around them explode, each detonating the one next to it. The Samsons are consumed in an inferno of exploding hydrogen. In the lab back at base, the controllers watch in amazement as the Medusae explode. They see the Samsons fall like burning toys. A Secfa trooper strides in, shutting down the big monitor. He tells them to go to quarters until the emergency is over. Hegna clubs him from behind with a computer keyboard. The other controllers jump in, wrestling him down. Spindly Norm Cheeseman grabs the guy's gun and runs for the door, yelling. The link room door is hurled open and the controllers charge in, led by Cheeseman. Hegner barricades the door at the end of the connecting corridor, then falls back to the link room. He seals the door there and pushes lab equipment against it. The controllers scramble into their link chairs, pulling the helmets down. The forest is a smoky hell. Fires seem to burn all around. The troopers are separated and disorganized, shooting at shadows. Navi run along massive tree boughs, like walkways through the canopy. They fire arrows down at two power suits walking below. The arrows are tipped with bladders of sticky liquid, which break over the power suits. A beat, while the troopers inside try to figure out what's going on, then a flock of sting bats descend on them drawn to the attractant. 
They swarm so thickly around the bubble canopies that the troopers are blinded. One of them blunders into a ravine. The other fires around him wildly, panicking. Splat! Bladders of attracted burst among a squad of regular troopers and volunteers. Within seconds, a swarm of hellfire wasps, big as sparrows, is zipping around them. The squad scatters, screaming. A couple of them fall and don't get up. Lyle nearby is yelling on his intercom for a report. Who's screaming? What's going on? A regular trooper near him jerks back as a slinger dart appears in his chest, piercing his ballistic armor. A scream on his left and another man is taken down by a leaping slinth. Lyle sees its striking head snap forward into the man's chest and knows he is dead. Lyle fires his cannon. The slinth flips convulsively amid flying earth and splintered bark. Lyle stands there panting, looking around wildly, wondering what's gonna come out of the jungle next. At the base, Norm Cheeseman's avatar sprints with powerful strides across the compound. Inside, a SecFar security squad blasts open the door to the corridor connecting to the link room. They enter the corridor, advancing warily with their guns aimed. K-Runch, a bulldozer blade, rips through the wall from outside. The corridor is flooded with lethal Pandoran air. The CC4 guards are overcome, hacking and coughing. They retreat, staggering back the way they came. Outside, Norm pivots his bulldozer and advances on the CC4 offices. He revs the giant machine and crashes straight into the wall. The Secfor Operations Center, from which the battle was being coordinated, is breached. Selfridge gapes as toxic air swirls in. Alarms go off. The technicians flee their stations, abandoning the radar and communication equipment. They all make it out, sealing the door behind them. Selfridge stands in the corridor, gasping, his world unraveling. Norm, really enjoying this, gives it the gas and drives right into the ops center, turning the equipment to rubble. In the jungle, regular troopers and volunteers run to the ramp of the Valkyrie shuttle, which was their landing craft. They are pursued by Viper Wolves, some of which follow the last men into the ship. The pilot hears screaming and yelling from the back compartment. He panics and starts an emergency takeoff. The huge ship rises into a hover and accelerates forward. Out of the trees comes a shiny black shape which leaps onto the nose of the shuttle. The manticore fills the ship's front windows. The pilot screams as the tail slams right through the canopy, shattering it. Outside, we see Zuleika and the manticore drop off the accelerating ship from a height of 20 meters. The manticore crashes down through foliage and lands agilely. The shuttle accelerates out of control. It climbs out of the forest. Inside, the pilot is dead at the controls, the co-pilot gagging on the poisonous air. The shuttle hits the underside of Mons Veritatis. It explodes, and hundreds of tons of flaming debris drop back into the forest. 
Quaritch watches the wreckage falling. He orders the other shuttle to get out of the battle area. It is their only way of getting back to Prometheus, the ticket home. And then he turns back to the battle. And you see in his face that he is over the edge. There is no logic in his brain now, only death. Tsute glides his Leonopteryx just beneath the cliff wall of the Big Rock Candy Mountain. He passes a broad waterfall, a shimmering curtain. The dragon gunship explodes out of the veil of water, bearing down on Tsute with thundering turbines. Quaritch opens up with the cannon as Tsute banks his mount. The rounds rip across the Leo's wing, and the dying animal flutters like a broken kite down into drifting clouds. Josh, circling above, sees Tsute get shot down. The dying Leonopteryx crashes down through the trees, lodging in branches high above the ground. Tsute falls the rest of the way, clutching at vines as he tries to break his fall. He hits the ground and lies there, badly injured. Josh's Leonopteryx drops like a MiG-29, slamming into the dragon with an ear-splitting screech. The dragon lurches, but is not toppled like the scorpions. It shakes off the stunned Leonopteryx and banks around to fire. Josh dives and the chase is on. They jink and turn, dive and climb. Josh dodges a fusillade of cannon fire and air-to-air -air missiles, more by luck than skill. He dives for the sheltering trees. They zigzag through the obstacle course. Under the canopy of foliage, Josh leads the dragon into a net trap. The Navi drop the net after he passes, and the dragon rips right through it like lace. Josh looks back. Uh-oh. Uh he climbs hard, and the dragon follows, ripping up the jungle around him. Josh pushes the Leo hard, climbing into a cloud bank. The dragon follows. They bank along a cliff wall, almost brushing the rock. The pilot of the dragon loses sight of Josh amongst a set of rocky spires. Quaritch is scanning, looking for his target. Josh finishes his tight bank above the gunship and dives toward its broad back. He pulls out, skimming over the ship, uncoupling his neural link. He rolls backward off the Leonopteryx back. Josh hits, skidding, on the hull of the dragon. Quaritch sees the Leonopteryx zoom overhead and flap away from them. He sends a missile after it, and the Scarlet Demon vanishes in a fireball. The huge gunship hovers, pivoting slowly as it scans for another target. Josh runs along the back of the thing, pulling two grenades from the bandolier. He pulls the pins with his teeth then hurls them into the intakes. Boom, boom. The explosions rip through the gunship's guts. It drops like an elevator. Josh clings to a gun turret out the side of the bubble canopy. Quaritch sees Josh clinging to the ship 10 feet from him. The pilot tries in vain to regain control. The gunship blunders down through the treetops. Josh runs diving out into space with everything he has. Grabbing an armful of lianas, he plunges down, ripping painfully along the vines as 
The gunship crashes down through the trees, and Josh breaks his fall, hanging in a tangle of vines as the gunship slams down into a small lake with a white explosion of water far below, back at the base. Selfridge is at the end of his rope. He orders his ragged Sec 4 guards to blow up the link room. Rob Parrish puts a gun to Selfridge's head and tells them all to drop their weapons. Selfridge can't believe Parrish has suddenly decided to become a man of principle. Why start now? But Parrish has had enough of feeling sick at heart, and Selfridge has gone way too far. He tells him to keep his money. The guards lower their guns on Selfridge's orders. At the jungle lake, the dragon gunship lies half submerged. Out of the water in the foreground, a shape rises. It is Quaritch, wearing a power suit. He strides up out of the water covered with mud. His face behind the canopy is bloody and his eyes burn. Quaritch strides into the forest, looking for something to kill. He opens fire with the Gao 90, blasting the trees around him into kindling. He starts literally cutting a swath through the jungle in a killing rage. TSUTE lies in a gasping heap. He has some broken bones. He looks up grimacing as a power suit looms over him. It is Lyle. Waynefleet looks down at the fallen hunter. He reaches down and grabs Tsute by his cue, lifting him painfully. Then he draws a huge knife with his other hydraulic hand. He cuts Tsute's cue off near the base, scalping him. Tsute screams in agony, his nervous system exploding on overload. Lyle holds up the hair. Tsute's only connection to the world consciousness, which is his life's blood. Lyle hears a chilling roar and a splintering crash. He looks around in time to see a blurred black shape leap toward him in an explosion of foliage. Zuleika's manticore is on him in one bound. It grips him and the stinging tail rises up. With blinding speed, it strikes over and down. Kick, crack, right through the bubble canopy. Lyle is skewered, pinned to the back of his cockpit. The venom goes through him, locking all his muscles in agonizing contraction. Zuleika drops him. She looks down at Tsute, who mercifully is dead. Zuleika hears firing nearby. She charges forward to meet the alien enemy. On a collision course with Quaritch in his power suit, moving relentlessly through the jungle, his hydraulic boots clomp past the bodies of Navi dire horses, a banshee ray. He sees something through the dense foliage, moves to get a better look. It is the shack. He is in the Navi stronghold. The defenders are dead. Quaritch closes in on the shack, inside the shack. Josh is tranced out under the link. Through a window, we see Quaritch's power suit step into the clearing outside. Quaritch levels, his Gao 90 at the shack. His finger goes to the firing button. Wham! A six-legged black demon tackles him. Quaritch pivots as he falls, firing the cannon. It misses Zuleika by inches. He grapples with the manticore, 
keeping its mantis forelimbs from locking onto him. The two titans twist and struggle. Zuleika strikes with the tail. Crack. It pierces the canopy but misses Quaritch. He grabs a quick breath, holding it before the Pandoran air comes in. Quaritch slams the manticore back against a tree trunk, almost crushing Zuleika. Then he twists violently, hurling the manticore off. It lands, twisting back on itself, almost like a snake. Zuleika gathers for a leap as Quaritch raises the Gatling gun and the manticore launches at him. And poom, the gay U-90 rips into its belly. Quaritch holds the trigger down, drilling hundreds of round into the thing, all the way up its chest to the fearsome head. The manticore slumps to the ground, pinning Zalaika's legs under its great bulk. She is trapped. Quaritch grabs his breathing mask and takes a gulp of air. Then he looks down at Zalaika. He aims the cannon at her, but when he fires, it rotates harmlessly, empty. He steps toward her and a figure drops from a limb above between him and Zuleika. It is Josh. The renegade avatar charges straight at the power suit, which towers over him. In hand-to-hand -hand combat, Josh and Quaritch fight to the death. It is a knockdown, dragout fight. Josh has the speed and agility, but Quaritch has the power, and he moves well in the suit. Josh is pummeled. At one point, the battle takes them near the shack. Josh swings a log like a club, knocking Quaritch back. The power suit crashes against the shack, shaking it violently. Inside, human Josh is jarred so hard the link is momentarily broken. Josh Avatar drops like a puppet with the strings cut. Human Josh pulls the headset back down and reestablishes the link. The Avatar rolls away just as a hydraulic boot slams down. He springs to his feet only to duck a pile. Driver punch. Zuleika struggles to free herself from beneath the manticore's body. Josh and Quaritch grapple, and the power suit finally pins Josh against a rock. Quaritch pulls back his arm for a crushing blow. Zuleika leaps into shot, grabbing the arm. Josh's hand flashes up, hitting the rescue release. The canopy pops, and Josh forces it open. He hits the power switch, and the suit goes dead. One powerful avatar arm grabs Quaritch and yanks him out like a soft oyster from a shell. Quaritch stares at him through his breathing mask waiting for the killing blow. But Josh just cocks his head, listening. He hears something in the forest nearby. He sets Quaritch down, and the Secfor commander staggers back. Josh motions for him to go, and Quaritch runs. He crashes through the foliage like the demons of hell are after him, which, unfortunately, they are. Quaritch sees the viper, wolves, flowing from shadow to shadow behind him, around him. Two come out onto the trail ahead of him. The circle closes in. The viper wolves bear their glass-like, distending fangs. Hideous hyena laughter, then a blur of motion. Josh and Zuleika hear the scream through the trees. Then silence, 
except for the normal sounds of the forest. They hug each other. The battle is over. They have won. At Hell's Gate, the Avatars have secured the base and established control. They stand guard with weapons as the human survivors of the battle are marched onto the shuttle. Human Josh watches as Selfridge and his whole corrupt outfit board the shuttle. Josh has given as edict. The base is being closed. When the humans are all back on Prometheus, the last shuttle will be destroyed so no one can come back. Prometheus will go back to Earth. So it is a time for goodbyes and decisions. Josh has decided to stay, and so have several of the other controllers. Gisi is leaving, and all the other humans are being told to leave. Thanks. Don't let the door hit you in the ass. On the way out, Marcia does her last downlink to Earth. Josh on camera tells whoever is watching that the natural defenses, the immune system of Pandora, will not allow humans to set foot here again. Just like the cold and flu, counterviruses were created, a new virus will be created. It will be a virus lethal to humans. An airborne hemorrhagic fever, a flesh-eating virus from hell. If it gets back to Earth as a result of future expeditions here, the whole human race will die screaming. Pandora is off limits for all time. Marcia and Trudy hug Josh and head for the airfield. The shuttle takes off, its sunbright lance of fire climbing into the evening sky. Norman Cheeseman. There's not really a virus like that, is there? Josh, with a little smile. It could happen. Night at the Well of Souls. The willows glow softly. Hundreds of torches light the gathered congregation of clans. Moat stands at the central willow, in communion with Gaia. The Navi sit in their concentric rings, also connected. The camera starts wide, seeing the hundreds of softly chanting figures in the great circle. It swoops in toward the center until it is hovering, looking down at two figures lying on the ground. Josh and his avatar lie head to head. Human Josh is wearing a mask, connected to a rebreather which is lying beside him. Both figures are still, with hands folded on their chests. The silken threads cover them both. They lie cocooned like moths. We see Zuleika, Grayson, and Day standing near the bodies. At the edge of the inner circle, the other controllers sit, cross-legged, watching intently. As the camera moves in, Zuleika moves forward, kneeling next to Josh's human form. Now we see only Zuleika and the two Joshes. She gently removes the mask from the human Josh's face. He is not breathing. She bends and kisses him. The camera drifts down past her, centering on Josh's avatar, moving into full close-up. Zuleika moves next to Josh's avatar. Her hand comes into frame, stroking his cheek, tightening slowly to extreme close-up until his eyes open, cut to black.